0: what's this podcast um called and who are you sorry i just
1: wanted to register a burp on the podcast
0: wow maybe this will be your burp episode not mine maybe
1: we should both just burp
0: okay ready three two one i could i couldn't make myself do it there we go but you can just you can just use post-production to make it seem like it was uh perfect and yeah
1: perfectly in sync Um, we, you know how we, we always sort of fumble towards some sort of rating systems, some sort of rating system at the end of our discussion. Yeah. Um, we should do, uh, burps. Yeah. And we actually have to burp out of five.
0: (laughs) But what if it's like, oh, I really love this movie, but I can't burp.
1: Well then it, it's too bad. It means that you give it zero stars. (laughs) Zero burps.
0: I don't approve of this. So if you
1: really want to register your uh, approval of something, you have to, like, make sure you're prepared and you've got, like, soda water with you and stuff.
0: Nah, I'm not interested. And that
1: proves that you're going to the extra length to e- express your admiration for something. So it's more it's more of a thing than just, you know, handing out stars willy-nilly.
0: Wait, I got a great idea. What if our rating system is points of a star? <laughs> <laughs> of a five-pointed star? so the highest rated films would be an entire star everything else would be less than that so it'd be one point two I point like three that. point four points five points and then an entire star
1: i give this a full star
0: yeah exactly let's do it all right and don't <laughs> gonna, explain it yeah, yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna write this write that down just to uh so we remember to it all right <laughs> uh, so what's this podcast called
1: Excuse me? Um, Let me just clear my mouth out from moisture. Okay. Or rather, clear moisture out of my mouth. So we don't get any obnoxious mouth sounds. Yeah, we definitely wouldn't want that. Which we will anyway. Um, What am I saying? Ah, what are you listening to? Mm -hmm. Wait. um, This is Project A+. I'm your number one host, Hugh... And the number two host is with me from afar. Please welcome yourself. Uh, What's your name?
0: Uh, Hunter. Hunter. So uh, what are we talking about tonight, today on this podcast?
1: We are talking about two new releases. One of which is yet another Marvel Cinematic Universe entry, Captain Marvel. The other of which is yet another Netflix distributed classic.
0: (laughs) Yet another Netflix entry in their mediocre director category. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Triple Frontier.
0: Um, So should we do Triple Frontier first because it was the most recent release? No, we should do Captain Marvel first. No. Captain Marvel. She's the Marvel. Marvelous Marvel. Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. She's Captain Marvel the Marvel. Marveling over Captain Marvel. Give me a C. Give me an A. Give me a Tane Marvel. Captain Marvel. So what is a Captain Marvel? Uh, you should
1: synopsize Captain Marvel.
0: Okay. So Captain Marvel uh, tells the story of a young woman, who's played by Brie Orson, who, uh, Carol Danvers. Uh, I guess, sort of difficult to set up this movie without spoiling to some degree. Yeah. She is a um, fighter in the Cree the Empire, this Kree Space Empire, um, who are fighting a sort of eternal seeming conflict. Um, parallels between the America American uh, ability to wage war, I think, or not ability. The Ameri- uh, America's persistence in waging war. Across the decade, I think is um, uh, parallel to that, um, against the aliens known as the scrolls, which are these shape-shifting uh, green goop monsters. So she's fighting more on the Kree side, um, and then she gets uh, kidnapped by the Kree when she's on a mission, and her mind gets played with, and it unlocks all these memories. She doesn't really know that much about herself, be before a certain point. Uh, and she has these glowy things that she did over her arms when she wants to um, and uh, so she has these memories awakened of, like, of her being on earth which she previously did not know about um, and uh, the scrolls are after this specific woman who's now i forgotten who's played by uh Annette Bennet uh, she's obviously on earth um so she uh uh goes on earth and fights the scrolls and tries to meet this woman and finds out about herself that's the movie right yeah they could have
1: we um we spoil like every single film we talk about are we really drawing the line here
0: i mean i guess i can just i don't know uh, okay it turns out that the scrolls are the good guys and um the career, the americans basically which means they're bad guys and um,
1: but aren't the Kree already revealed to be bad in previous MCU films like Guardians of the Galaxy?
0: Yeah, and previous MCU villain uh, Ronan the Accuser is also in this briefly.
1: Although to be honest, like the nonsense names of the alien races just sort of washed over me, and I didn't even remember them particularly from Guardians of the Galaxy. So
0: well, well, I mean they're all like classic comic races, so it's stuff that I already know. So wasn't wasn't that much of a washover for me, I'll say.
1: So the twist actually kind of worked on me in that sense.
0: It it, it worked on me too actually, I'll say. Yeah. So that's basically the movie. The scrolls are the good guys. Captain Marvel remembers who she is. She's an Air Force pilot. Um, she helps them. She kills some scrolls or some. Well, I guess she does kill some scrolls, but she uh kills some Kree and then uh helps the scrolls find her homeland. And that's the movie. Is that adequate? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so all that leaves, leaves now is for us to talk about what we thought about the movie Captain Marvel. Um, and so, Hugh, what did you think about the motion picture that was entitled Captain Marvel?
1: Okay, well, you need to indulge me here because I'm going to read or mildly paraphrase something that I wrote in my
0: notebook. Let me just take off my headphones. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead.
1: Um, I'm going to read or paraphrase something I wrote in my notebook immediately after the screening. Uh, as a way of sort of framing my opinions of this particular film.
0: In the theatre or after you'd gotten home? Uh, in the theatre. Whoa.
1: Well, usually I start writing while the credits are rolling because I always stay to the end. Uh huh. And then I sort of finish it off as if I was just in the foyer of the cinema. Yeah. I'll try and make this, this sound like normal speech as well and not just sort of incoherent notes.
0: I'm sure you'll do a great job at that. Um,
1: so what I wrote is this, fuck Disney. That's it. (laughs) No, it's not it. Um, at this point I'm willing to proclaim that no Marvel movie is essential. Uh Their style is too codified. The jokes strain. The production design is unfailingly bland. CGI is barely serviceable. And we've talked about this before, but the obligation to build towards these kind of multi-stage, large-scale action spectacles in the third act usually destroys whatever charms the films otherwise manage, certainly for me. For you. For me, yeah. And what we are essentially watching is iterations of a product produced by a mega corporation, with all the attendant interference and focus testing that implies. And the financial stakes of any one of these entries is too high, that essentially there's not one single Marvel film that has managed to escape that level of corporate interference unscathed.
0: I don't think so. I think that's not true.
1: We we, we can debate this, but let me have my say, Hunter.
0: A, I'm just I'm going to debate you right now. Because what about Black Panther? I feel like that. No, I think we should be. I'm I'm saying
1: unscathed. Oh, so okay. the films can still be like decent, but I don't think they're um. Immaculate okay uh, uh, uh. they have scathings,
0: <laughs> but that's that's all industrial products which most movies are that's right
1: that's right that's right we'll get to that okay, so I think we should be cautious about celebrating the m c e or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, whatever the merits of the individual films are, and some certainly do have merit because what we're celebrating is like a production mode in which it's basically impossible to produce a masterpiece, something of lasting worth. And I think considering how bad superhero films can be, and we've seen some really terrible superhero films, I think it's easy to overrate the MCU films simply for not being worse than they are. And it's a phenomenon I compare to the critical response to Pixar films. And I think if you're like a critic, um, sitting through myriad terrible superhero films or terrible... Um, CGI animated films, then MCU films or Pixar Pixar films can really come as like a great relief, and sure. it can maybe cause you to enthuse about them more than they otherwise deserve. Yeah. But basically, Marvel and Disney have hit, hit upon a surefire formula of cranking out three to three and a half star films, and if you if you look at the twenty one films they've made, the difference between the worst and the best mcu film is is dishearteningly small i think i don't think they take like big bold swings and i think even in comparison to dc's attempt at a cinematic universe maybe some of those entries are um a little bit more unique and individual Uh and reflect the the creator's um uh i don't know personality or something yeah whatever for better and worse
0: I i think that's true with uh some Marvel films as well, I don't know if that's...
1: Yeah, but we have, like, you know, like, total. Christopher Nolan seems pretty indelibly... Yeah, but that's not, those aren't like,
0: his... the, the DC, like, shared universe films, like, I don't know if that's...
1: No, but they're, like, as a broad... As a touchstone, yeah, but sure, but... Yeah.
0: I don't, I don't, I feel like that's just another, like, corporate style, I don't, I don't know. And
1: Zack Snyder seems to have his own style for worse and worse and worse. <laughs> yeah, so... But they're, they're kind of in, those two examples are kind of individual and also things like Tim Burton's Batman films. They're kind of individual in a way that I don't think any of the Marvel films are yeah. at this particular point. Or at least they're all individual in the exact same kind of way. I sort of vacillate between admiring the sprawling, goofy kind of serialism of the MCU saga. Uh. And their kind of decent hit rate. And also thinking, you know, fuck this, fuck Marvel, fuck Disney. Yeah, like the financial success of these films means that um, not only are independent productions overshadowed into complete irrelevance or whatever but like interesting studio pictures films with decent budgets that aren't necessarily blockbusters per se um, I think there's a risk that they'll become an even rarer proposition I don't know, I don't know and will be true. doomed to endure competing brands, cinematic universes until people finally don't care
0: I must disagree with you about that.
1: Um, but yeah, I don't begrudge anyone for enjoying these films. And as I've said, I enjoy them personally in some cases.
0: But uh, I mean, clearly um, every other attempt to make a cinematic universe is sort of backfired. So I don't know if that's... Yeah, that's true. but I mean, I'm, I'm
1: sure they're still going to try. <laughs> yeah, but they, they failed.
0: So uh, I don't know.
1: <laughs> but, but, fuck Disney. We should be exposing people to films that get overlooked, films that like don't have these astronomical marketing budgets and films that are genuinely radical and not like Disney's slow co- crawl towards representation. <sighs> we can still watch these things and appreciate them, but do we need to give Disney more oxygen on our podcast? Um, oh, no. <laughs> All that being said, No one listens to our podcast, and therefore we're absolved of all responsibility. And I'm free to say that I had fun with Captain Marvel.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, uh, I yeah, actually, actually, quite enjoyed it. Did you? Yeah, me too. Hmm. Good. There we go.
0: I will say the first maybe um, thirty minutes, I was like, "Okay, I don't give a shit." (laughs) But then, as soon as they get to Earth, it got way better.
1: Yeah, that was just nonsense. But I'm, I'm glad that was over with pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you know what? I can enjoy some space nonsense as long as it's like the entire movie, you know. <laughs> like if I'm forced to invest in it, but uh, I'm glad that I wasn't forced to invest in it. So.
1: But it, it mo- It's pretty economical. It moves along so quickly and dispenses with bits of exposition like this um, pretty ruthlessly that. Yeah. You don't really. Yeah, stay you get, in one get through spot. it pretty quickly,
0: and some of that stuff is necessary too for the rest of the movie to work. Yeah no i think um i I did enjoy how uh atypical the climax of this movie was too like it didn't it wasn't quite as like r- the world's gonna pull up i mean it was, but that that threat seems so uh secondary <laughs> to the rest of the film. Th- yeah that's that's kind of my
1: favorite uh, part of this in a way because so we should contextualize this a little bit at some point in the film as we're like at the climax, there's like this space fleet coming towards Earth, right? Yeah. So we've got this potential intergalactic intergalactic space battle that threatens not just life on Earth, but I think more worryingly threatens the arrival of a tedious MCU climax. (laughs) Um, And then it's briskly resolved in a manner that was reminiscent of like old-school Superman films, which I really enjoyed.
0: Yeah, it's it's turned into a joke, essentially, which I I quite enjoyed.
1: And then that pivots to uh, another... Uh, uh, scene that i enjoyed as well which was the takedown of toxic masculinity as it were which was like a little <laughs> bit on the nose yeah. or quite a lot on the nose but that's in keeping with the rest of the film yeah
0: it's not it's not like you're you can expect subtlety when you're going to this movie. It's- yeah
1: exactly but there's like a great confrontation that she has with the bad guy played by jude law in this case if we can spoil that again um and he does the classic action movie thing of like um, now it's time for you to prove yourself, you know, in a hand-to-hand combat yeah, and see what you've learned and how you've grown whatever. And is. this
0: is, it's sort of set up in the beginning of the film. Yeah. yeah I, I did enjoy the sort of, um, uh, screw off to the idea that in order to become like, um, equal to men, women would have to act as, as them, you know?
1: Yeah. And like to be able to defeat them, defeat them in hand-to-hand combat is the only way to, towards
0: equality. It's the only way equality is achieved. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that was also set up in the beginning when he talks to, when Jude Law is like her mentor, um, in battle and he's telling her, you can't let your emotions cloud you, blah, 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 which is obviously a parallel towards common, um, misogynistic sort of interpretations of women in general. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, she just dispatches him with an energy blast and then drags him along the ground. Yeah. Pretty, pretty enjoyable. It seems so obvious, right? The way that scene was kind of constructed, yeah. but that viewpoint is so rare in an action film because uh, all the action films are so like beholden to a particular like masculine, masculine idea of strength,
0: strength. Uh, tradition. Yeah,
1: yeah. That I I found it very satisfying. <laughs> it was very yeah.
0: enjoyable. Me too. Even if the I thought the other um, the one where she steals the guy's boat was like, oh, because he's being like a, a sexist prick. I thought that was way annoying, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was kind of lame.
0: That's the bad version of it.
1: Yeah, that was similarly, like, on the nose, but in, like, a wincing kind of way. Yeah, whereas, like, it felt like... I forgot what he actually says to her, but it's like... It's like, like,
0: oh, show me a smile or something like that. It's like, I'm a
1: misogynist. (laughs) 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 So, um, I I was actually surprised that uh, this film has actually received a lot of sort of negative reviews.
0: Yeah, I don't really understand it either.
1: Um, It seems to me one of the better ones, and I think, I think... It's pretty enjoyable, overall. I think I, I, I... Tend to respond better to films that are of the MCU that are more contained. Yeah, me too. And low key. And that's um, why
0: um Ant Man is so good. Yeah,
1: and and this first uh, and Spider Man Homecoming and stuff like that. And
0: Iron Man Three too.
1: Yeah, which is the best Iron Man.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh,
1: so people have talked about the, the '90s references being on the nose, and, and again, certainly they are. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> I lived through the '90s, and I, I don't care. I d- I don't think this film would be improved by more authentic '90s
0: references.
1: <laughs> but I do like the fact that it actually feels
0: like a film from the '90s. It does. And I mean, it's it's, it's funny how short it was too. Like, was it actually
1: how how long was it? It was
0: less than two hours, which uh, Marvel movies rarely. No, are. just over two hours. Oh, really? I thought it was. I thought it was. Yeah, one hundred twenty-four. Oh,
1: to Wikipedia. Maybe which is still short the, yeah. for Marvel film. Yeah. Especially compared to, <laughs> like,
0: uh, uh, Avengers Infinity War, which is, like, my entire life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I liked Infinity War. <laughs> it feels
1: a lot brisker than, than um, other MCU films. To expand upon the, the 90s feel, um, I liked the fact that it was, like, set in, uh, like, California deserts and... <laughs> yeah. uh, secluded aircraft bases and stuff like that yeah it felt very old school and
0: enjoyable for sure
1: i think the one other ingredient that improves this considerably is just having more samuel L. jackson in it than yeah. you normally get
0: and I, I was actually surprised how good the uh the cgi uh, youth serum was
1: yes yes like you can it's see it, it's it's weird in in spots but yeah. it's yeah it's pretty well done with the, it looked weird at one point with his who's his assistant guy who's in all the Clark, films. do
0: Greg, uh, Agent Colson.
1: Yeah, there's one point where it looked like he just had really weird plastic surgery. Yeah.
0: But obviously they're gonna pay less for him than. Uh, yeah. About <laughs>
1: <Jackson>. <laughs> but also Samuel Jackson doesn't look that old for his age. No, he doesn't. So they probably didn't have to go too far. I wonder. You, I I assume that was his hair that
0: they just dyed, right? yeah
1: maybe i'm assuming that'd be easier than anything else but um probably cheaper too the main thing they seem to do is bulk him up yeah more than he actually is now because obviously as you age you kind of wither out a little bit yeah and uh he looked a lot chunkier than uh, (laughs) currently
0: (laughs) they they controlled they right clicked and then said add muscles (laughs) like one of those
1: character creation things in shitty video games yeah
0: yeah. Did you enjoy the sort of um, running bit where his eye is getting uh, endangered? Mm. <laughs> Did you like the cat stuff?
1: Yeah, I like the cat stuff.
0: Me too. Uh, my girlfriend really hates cats, so she quite enjoyed that.
1: She really hates cats?
0: Yeah.
1: Man, who could hate a cat? Cats know. are great. But I don't like I dogs, cats.
0: so, you know, whatever. You don't like dogs? Yeah, no, not really. Jeez, man. Do you want me to tell you why? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. Because when I was a, a child, we had a dog who um, was technically a puppy and she was very young. But she grew up really fast. And you know how puppies like to jump on people and like, you know, you know what I mean? Yes,
1: I've, I'm aware of what puppies do.
0: So she was a very big dog uh, and she had sort of sharp claws. And so when I go outside, she would jump on me and I hated it. So <laughs> ever since then, I don't care for dogs.
1: I was actually bracing myself for a more traumatic story. No, I was like thinking you got mauled as a child <laughs> no, <laughs> or something.
0: No. I haven't showed you my scars. <laughs> no, nothing that dramatic. But uh, I, I've never really cared that much for dogs ever since then, especially big dogs.
1: Give them a second chance. You're blaming all dog. You're blaming all dogs for the actions of one dog.
0: Yeah. So whatever. I don't, I don't care. But also, you're like um, a racist. Wait, let me when I moved back in with my parents, um, same dog would wake me up in the middle of the night so I could take her out to go to the bathroom, which is so annoying. And we even tried to put a... like a... a child gate on the stairs that led from the living room to my room, right? Yeah. And she knocked down that gate so she could wake <laughs> me up. Wait, that. so
1: you have to let her out so I go to the bathroom?
0: Yeah, but not because I wanted to. And my parents would have gotten up right away, but I literally... I have a lot of trouble falling back because if I wake up in the middle of the night, mm. so she deprived me of sleep, is what I'm saying.
1: Do you have, like, a, like did she, like, bang on your door or something? Yeah,
0: she, like, mewled outside of it. Right. She, like, hit her, I don't know if it was her head or, like, her, um, haunch or her shoulder.
1: So why did she go to you yeah. and not... I don't know!
0: That. I don't know! <laughs> <laughs> she just was targeting me because she knew I was scared. Um, so there yeah, That's why I don't like dogs I think it's a totally Sensible reason <laughs> um, So uh,
1: I guess we get Sort of a twist On
0: <laughs> oh, The now whole, Going back to, to Going movie. back to the film
1: We get a twist On uh, Ben Mendelsohn's Typecasting As an evil yuppie Yeah
0: it was I, That was that, See that's a, that was the Reason why that twist Was so effective <laughs> Cause I was like As soon as I saw That he was in the movie I was like oh, Okay he's the villain You know <laughs>
1: But yeah, I, I do like that it does continue <laughs> its hot streak of, <laughs> of evil yuppie
0: portrayals,
1: uh, even if it undermines. It. It's
0: it's crazy that he already played that role for Disney in Rogue One. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought he was pretty good in this.
1: Yeah, yeah, I liked. I did like the fact that his he got to use his Australian accent when he's the alien. Yeah, me too. And then when he shapeshifts and adopts the form of Australian actor Ben Mendelssohn, he speaks with an American accent.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't understand. I mean, the accent said, like, for all the aliens is already stupid, but... Why is the alien him Australian? (laughs) I
1: I, I, I like that, actually. I I think that would It definitely
0: made his performance better.
1: (laughs) Hmm. Well, I get they probably rationalized that it was easier to accept him as a good guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, if when Australian. he was evil Ben Mendelsohn, he actually putting on a different accent and
0: everything. It's funny how much he plays that role. Well,
1: it's, it's one of those very common uh, casting things that happen in Hollywood where an international actor, usually British, mm-hmm. who's known for completely different work, then gets subsumed into Hollywood as a go-to villain in blockbusters.
0: Yeah. I forgot that he was in The Dark Knight Rises.
1: Yeah, and this, playing the same character. I think that might, that might have been the first one. Uh, should we get to the other cast members? What did you think of our hero, Brie Larson?
0: Yeah, she was, she was good.
1: Yeah, I thought she was good.
0: Yeah, she, she seems suitable.
1: People have complained the the character is a bit dull, maybe?
0: Yeah, I don't I didn't really get that.
1: Uh, that was, that was a criticism I came across a couple of times. I didn't particularly mind, because, again, it seemed like a kind of Superman-esque character.
0: You actually know, she's played a character who has, like, lost her memories, too, so, you know.
1: I don't necessarily think every, uh, superhero has to be, like, a quirky, quippy character, yeah. per
0: se. Yeah, I agree. What did you think about the humor? Was it too, um, overbearing?
1: I didn't find... The, most of the, the jokes particularly funny and I normally don't in MCU they always feel a bit um, nudging me in the ribs yeah. style Seriously. so I never particularly enjoy them but like the actual moment that we talked about earlier in which in which um, she has that confrontation with Jude Law and the stuff in space uh, where she stops the warheads and stuff, Yeah, that was funny Like I, th- I th- found that, that section that's funny that's good comic timing but like the the individual lines, I, I found a bit strained.
0: Yeah, but um, yeah, I think we're I think we're in agreement with this. It's pretty enjoyable. We agree like way too often to make this interesting. Yeah, <laughs> don't. We? One of us, one of us has to have uh, different tastes than the other. Do mm. you have anything else you want to say about it?
1: Uh, no, I think that's that's pretty much
0: it. Yeah, if you if you like uh, MCU films, you'll probably like this one, which is <laughs> not really much of an endorsement.
1: No, it's not. But. But I think if you if you are weary of some of the MCU films as I am, then uh, I'd still recommend this because it's uh, it's relatively brief, <laughs>
0: <laughs> relatively brief. Raves Hugh Hamilton,
1: yeah. It doesn't feel bloated; it's no. pleasant and enjoyable. It's fun. I think that's the best thing I can say about it. it's fun.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a good time.
1: I would, I would definitely rank this up there with um, Spider Man Homecoming and. Black Panther.
0: Yeah, I think as it my too.
1: handful of favourites. They
0: definitely go towards the top of my list. Mm. What if we went back and did all the uh, MCU films?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, and rank them all. <laughs> <definitive
0: ranking>. yeah. <laughs> well you don't you don't want to do that? It's it's
1: funny how, how like successful this kind of cultural saturation and I guess marketing can be. Because even though I'm somewhat ambivalent about MCU as a whole, I guess. I still have some desire to watch all the films I've missed, even just to say, I didn't like that one, or this was one of the better ones, or whatever. So, like, I'm not ruling out catching up on things like Thor, The Dark World, or whatever, at some point in my life.
0: Yeah, that's, I think that's the only one that I haven't seen, actually.
1: And I still need to see all the uh, Captain America ones.
0: I like those movies, but I don't think you would, so... Which I know you like,
1: yeah. But it's funny. So at the end of uh, this is this is actually one other thing I wanted to say about Captain Marvel. Yeah. Oh. Um. In the credits,
0: yeah.
1: We get like a little scene of uh, some of the surviving Avengers. Mm-hmm.
0: From Avengers, uh, presumably a scene that has been, uh, either taken from uh, an outtake or something from Avengers in game. The next one.
1: But anyway, like the moment when they came on screen and we saw uh chris evans and and whatever i forgot who was in it chris evans and um and iron man all those people uh my heart sank because i was like oh these balls again <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, we're definitely gonna do that movie on the show you realize
1: so i found this kind of refreshing because none of that stuff was really in this actual film it was different people except for Samuel L. jackson who i'll always welcome
0: <laughs> you too put him in any movie put him in every movie that's my legislation
1: so this didn't make me excited for Endgame particularly. But we're still going to do it. So. <laughs> but we're still going to do it.
0: Yeah. We're also going to do Spider-Man Far From Home, which I imagine that you're somewhat excited to see.
1: So, yeah, I'm a little bit trepidatious, mm. based on the trailer, about the, the CGI effects sequences, which look terrible. But sure, sure. as long as I can get enough of the non-superhero stuff, I'll enjoy yeah. it.
0: It's directed by the same guy I did the first one, so. Yeah, if
1: it's the same sort of team that was yeah, behind the first. Yeah, I think
0: one. it's the. I mean, that movie had like a uh, a horribly large number of screenwriters, but two of the credited screenwriters on it are also credited in the next one, so you know. Well,
1: I think in the first film maybe that was a good thing because they probably whittled out the best jokes from each of them, yeah, and maybe. Uh, it was a little bit funnier than it should have
0: been. Yeah. Or could have been rather. Yeah, that was an enjoyable movie.
1: I'm wondering if I still think it's even a four star film. Like, that <laughs> might also be a three point five star film, but I was overrating it because I watched on a plane, in the company of much lesser films. Mm. Like it looked good in comparison to like Wonder Woman and stuff.
0: So how many how many points would you give this movie?
1: I would give Captain Marvel three point five points of a star
0: hmm. I think I would give it the full four points wow yeah mostly because I was not expecting that much and I enjoyed it a lot
1: yeah I was expect- I was not ex- looking forward to it I sort of reluctantly agreed to- I was
0: I was um and maybe I might be overrating it because of how much I enjoyed it in accordance to what I was expecting it to be um but uh I read a bunch of negative reviews about it before I watched it <laughs> So. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and uh, still managed to enjoy it, so I feel like that speaks to its quality. Yeah, but uh, now that we're done with that, let's move on to Triple Frontier. First things first. It's a triple frontier. Ben Affleck. We're walking out with Oscar Isaac. set for life. Garrett Hedlund. We don't need magic. To- it's a triple frontier. Charlie Hunnam. So it's a
1: little hard, and you think
0: Pedro Pascal.
1: It's not, but I signed up.
0: Ajaya Arjona. We are dead. Triple triple frontier.
1: Hey, so this is another uh, Netflix distributed film. You know, endless line of Netflix distributed reviews.
0: See, any of our other episodes. Mm. (laughs)
1: Um, And once again, this comes from a director who has made something of a name of himself, but he's like middle tier.
0: Yeah. Um, JC Chandler. Hey, this is the first movie of his that I've seen, but you've seen several of his other films, by I understand correctly. I've seen one of his
1: other films. I've seen his first film, which was Margin Call. I remember,
0: I remember that you liked it.
1: I quite enjoyed it, yeah. I don't think it's great, but it was uh, it was pretty enjoyable. And, yeah, it looked really boring. <laughs> um, so I, I guess his biggest critical hits to date were um, Margin Call and All Is Lost. Yeah. But his third film, I think, also got pretty good reviews as I'm well. Thinking,
0: I think it was a little bit of a, a tick down from... The other two, but it still got positive reviews.
1: It still got positive reviews, which was a most violent year, which also starred Oscar Isaac.
0: It's presumably why he's in Sheryl Frontier.
1: Yes, although it's probably worth mentioning its extremely torturous production history. Yes. Um, because it was originally a Catherine Bigelow project. She does retain a a production credit.
0: It was co-written by one of her uh, frequent collaborators, Mark Boll.
1: And uh, Tom Hanks and Johnny Depp were in talks to be in this film. And uh, it went through a number of iterations after that um, and included other actors such as Will Smith, Channing Tatum,
0: Mark Wahlberg, uh, Rahashal Ali... You, I, did you mention my favorite factoid, which is that Ben Affleck was attached to it, then dropped out, and then reattached himself? Yes.
1: To it. <laughs> in fact, Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck were in talks for the brother roles. I think.
0: I mean, presumably. Um, but so yes, uh, so this movie's had a pretty tortuous production history, um, but the cast that we ended up with, I think, is pretty solid. Uh, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah. So we've got. We've got Ben Affleck, as you said, return, who, <laughs> returning to the production.
0: Who, I mean, as we've discussed, see our uh, episode on... Um, on... Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Amy. Call me, call me by my Amy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Chasing Amy.
0: Chasing Amy. That's right. So, as we, as I mentioned on that episode, uh, I, I, I enjoy Ben Affleck now and then. He's, he's done some movies that I enjoy. He, he's given some performances that I like. Like in Gone Girl, for instance.
1: I think he's put, he's perfect in, like... Particular roles, which is usually yeah, he's a, yucky playing, like, a
0: smarmy asshole that he's like perfect, like girl yeah. for instance. <laughs> and now I think I think he's really good in To the Wonder, um, which is an underrated little film, I think. The Malik film, yeah. He's playing kind of a voidish character, but mm. I'm, I'm, I always like performances like that, which we, we just, like really strip yourself of effects. I think it's really hard to do, and for some people, yeah. but yeah. So. I I like myself some Ben Affleck occasionally. So we
1: have Affleck, we have Oscar Isaac. Um,
0: yep, he has been good in some stuff.
1: I like Oscar Isaac a lot ever since um, uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Mm, never seen it. But he was really he was really good in that.
0: But it seemed like your kind of movie. That was
1: the first time I'd seen him, and we also have Charlie Hunnam, who you can ex- explain his philosophy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a big Jordan Peterson fan, as both of us are right. Yeah, huge, yeah. huge. Just to turn to our sides.
1: This is the film podcast of choice of the intellectual dark web.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, you know what? Uh, Charlie Hunnam, I always sort of written him, written him off as sort of a boring person you can't act. Uh,
1: but now that you've learnt that <laughs> he's a Jordan Peterson fan. Yeah.
0: But now, now I love him. <laughs> no, um, it's added hidden depths. Yeah. Uh, I really liked him in uh, The Lost City of Z. Um, and then uh, there's a bit of an uh, Inside Will and Davis uh, reunion here with uh, Garrett Hedlund. Uh, and finally, the final lead cast member is Pedro Pascal, who also I have a fondness for. Um, most known for his role in Game of Thrones. And he's also going to be the uh, lead character in the upcoming uh, upcoming Star Wars TV series. The
1: Mandalorian.
0: Mm. But he's an enjoyable, uh, enjoyable presence in movies, I think. Yeah, I agree. So we have a solid, cast. a solid cast. We have a proven. We have a director that you under. have some fondness for that who uh, has been. had a couple of critical successes.
1: Yep. And we have a boatload of Netflix cash.
0: And then we have Netflix. <laughs> it was a proven poison to mid level directors. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the result? What was the result?
1: I have to synopsize this, don't I? Oh, yeah, you do. We haven't done that yet. That was a roundabout (laughs) contextualizing of this film. It starts off really uh, with some stuff. I can't. There was actually something at the start. I can't remember. But anyway, Oscar Isaac as uh, Santiago Garcia, nicknamed Pope.
0: (laughs) Colombia. This movie takes place in Colombia.
1: Yeah, he's working in
0: Colombia. No, I had no idea. They never. They never talked about it.
1: And he's trying to capture some some drug dealers and stuff. And. there's this evil drug dealer who obviously has a huge influence over the town, and, and they've been seeking him for ages, but he's difficult to find. And he gets a lead uh, through a source the, you know, to his hideout or whatever, and where he's located. Um, so he goes back to America, meets up with... And he's an ex-army uh, person, ex, ex-military.
0: Doesn't really describe what his uh, branch was or anything like that. No.
1: Nah. He meets up with a bunch of other ex-military... Uh, vets.
0: It presumably, served sort of the same like unit or whatever. something. Yep.
1: And um, the unit they we were in was captained by Ben Affleck's character, Tom Redfly Davis. <laughs> uh-huh. So it's one of those uh, one last job type thing. Yeah. Where they're like, let's let's do one last thing and finally get you know we we're not doing very well in America. We deserve better for what we've done for our country. Now's our chance to. Rob this drug dealer and execute him and do something good for this community as well as make away with millions of dollars, right? So I have to convince all the old ex army vets, um, to reassemble for one last job in Colombia, And he's successful because, uh, Ben Affleck is, uh, an ineffectual real estate agent and he can't sell condos. So, and he's got a family to support, albeit estranged. So he's gonna go along with it, and everyone falls into place behind them. And initially, they are just there to advise the local police.
0: Well, that's what Oscar Isaac's job is.
1: Yeah, so he was like a military advisor, working in some capacity for the law enforcement there.
0: I think he he's working for a private um, military contractor too, but it's never really. It's not clear if he's an independent like, agent or not. Yeah,
1: I, th- I think I fudged the details of the plot a little bit, but it was, like, initially initially they were coming over to scope out the uh, hideout.
0: Yeah, well, no, the way that Oscar Isaac sets it up is that he's like, I'm going to pay you, or the, the government of this country is going to pay you $10,000 to to set up a bus so he can kill this guy, this drug dealer.
1: Yeah, so, but then it transforms to, well, now we're here instead of involving the local law enforcement Let's raid the place ourselves, kill the bad guy, and uh, make away with his money. So it's a heist
0: movie. In some sense, in all well, the senses, pretty much. It's not like a pure. It's not. It's not like a. It's not like a Ocean's Eleven type thing where the heist is like the raison d'être.
1: No, it's not glamorous in that sense, and and it's not setting up the heist as like the climax of the film or anything like that. Yeah. It's more the start of the film that sets in motion a series of events that
0: yeah. is tragic. Uh, Ish. Uh.
1: I mean, it kills one Affleck.
0: <laughs> There's a, but we have another one. We have another one. Yeah. So, it's all it kills okay.
1: an Affleck, lost all the money. Whatever. Or did we? The end. <laughs> um, so, what happens is the heist doesn't quite go according to plan.
0: They think they're gonna make out make out with like seventy million, but it turns out that the house has way more money than they expected, and because of their idiot greed, hubris, <laughs> hubris slayed the beast. Well, it's hubris? That's slay the <laughs> <laughs> Um,
1: Yes, so they overload they overload their escape copter with money, which prevents them from successfully. Navigating over the Andes into Peru.
0: If you think this sounds like a heavy handed metaphor, <laughs> you'd be right. Um, so they crash
1: land in a little village and have an altercation there, and then they're on foot, Do we really
0: need to go into this much detail? Crossing about? the
1: mountain, and then, you know, it goes from there. <laughs> the yeah. end.
0: Yeah. But half like nice. They, they don't want to get away.
1: <laughs> he gets shot in the head because he executed some villagers, and one of the villagers shot him in the head.
0: Um, okay, that's that's basically it. So, um, That's it, so, what did what you... What did you think of Triple Frontier? Think of the film. Motherfucker. I got
1: first. I answered first the last time. Fine. It's, whoever uh,
0: synopsizes gets
1: to ask that question. So what did you think of J.C. Chandor's Triple Frontier?
0: Uh, I thought it was super boring, <laughs> for the most part. Mm. <laughs> what did you think of it?
1: So I would say, like, it's not as bad as some of the other Netflix distributed films that we have watched in a similar kind of category. It's not like
0: it's not like a the Titan or a, the Titan. <laughs> I don't know. It's
1: it's not like a disaster where you like. No. How did this happen? I can I can like reconcile, uh, J C. Chandor working on this film.
0: Yeah. Or War Machine.
1: I did think of War Machine as well, watching watching it a little bit, um, and. It's better than War Machine. It is. I'll give it that much. Me too. I, 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 you can probably speak to this better than I can, because I don't know if I've actually seen a Catherine Bigelow film. Mm-hmm. But this would have been better if it was a Catherine Bigelow film, I'm assuming.
0: Uh, it definitely felt like an Urzats Catherine Bigelow film at times. Especially at the beginning, at the beginning where uh, Charlie Hunnam's like, oh, I'm an American person and I'm... I, I was in the supermarket and I just found my arm around this guy's, you know, his neck and he's, like, going to kill him, which is, like, almost exactly a scene from <laughs> The Hurt Locker. I mean, not the specific, like, action, but just a supermarket being the trigger of PTSD.
1: So, I mean, like, to to J.C. Chandor's credit, I don't think he embarrasses himself. No. And... It's really just him, as we can see from the his production history, he's really stepping in, he's inheriting this project. Yeah. Rewriting the original screenplay to some degree. Doing what he can with it, but it's not really his passion project or anything like that.
0: No, presumably not. But there's obviously something that, you know, attracted him to this movie.
1: And it's it's hard to really uh extrapolate much about his style between the two films I've seen, which is Margin Cool and this.
0: I mean, it's from what I've read stuff, he just seems very uh I don't know. MOR, you know? Somewhat, yeah. Like, not incompetent, but just um, capable at composing sh- shots that look professional. <laughs> but I mean, I think this film especially felt very, uh, very personalityless.
1: <laughs> yeah, it did.
0: The one thing that
1: that I could maybe extrapolate that was a characteristic of both films is a pervading sense of melancholy. Yeah. But it's hard it's hard for me to put my finger on that in terms of what's generating it stylistically. But there is like a the thing I the most enjoyed about Margin Call, which I don't think is a perfect film or an amazing film. Or even a good film. But I did enjoy the the note of melancholy. And that's that sort of hangs over this film a lot.
0: It just felt very erzatz to me. Like there's nothing that felt like um you know, kind of wants to have it, its cake and eat it, because you know, in some ways, this film was like, oh man, uh, America doesn't treat its veterans that well, you know.
1: No, you're right. I I, I completely agree. Like it 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 has that pretense of saying something about.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't say anything. It? The life of uh, military. The vets life of yeah retired servicemen,
1: and um, the nature of warfare and stuff like that. But <laughs> I mean, it ends with. So they... Okay, so we've already spoiled that Affleck gets a bullet to the head.
0: Yeah, he gets what he deserves.
1: <laughs> and they have to dispense all the money in, like, a pit in the Andes. Right. But then it ends with, like, um, one of the characters giving us, Isaac, uh, a note with the coordinates where the money is, and be like, ah, we can go back and get it. Great. So
0: it was not a waste. It's such a strange turn. Whereas
1: as it was... The moral of the story was kind of like, you know, they were undone by...
0: Their greed and stuff. Their
1: greed yeah. and hubris in, in doing this. And all it got them was a dead body. All it did was kill Ben Affleck. But then at the end, if, if it's like, no, you can go back and get the money, it basically undoes Anything. Any, any residence yeah. that particular message might have had.
0: Yeah.
1: Because I actually thought at some point, I was like, if this is the, where it's heading, essentially, they're just dragging his body bag instead of the money. I mean it's an obvious kind of uh there's obvious symbolism there but yeah i was like i can go along with that but
0: (laughs) it's made the rest of the movie feel really like meaningless yeah i just don't know why that indeed specifically was uh on there yeah
1: that was dumb and it should have had like a a rock song like for the credits (laughs) like (laughs) like, (laughs) they didn't have like a heavy
0: metal song triple frontier too yeah
1: because he listens to metallica
0: uh, the politics of the film because on one hand, it's like, it wants to be, you know, like, anti-capitalist uh, to a degree, right? At least anti-the American, like, perspective on uh, on Veterans Affairs, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, it's like, I mean, it, it, it tries to take pleasure in their, like, ability to kill people to a degree, I think. <laughs> Would you agree with that? Yeah. Because there are definitely action scenes where you're like, oh, yeah, they're, they're executing this so well, they're just, like, really good at doing this thing, you know? There's no point at which they're like sort of um the their skills are made to seem like horrific you know what I mean
1: yeah even the village massacre was a little bit underplayed
0: yeah well they I mean they, they introduced like a ambiguity to it which I thought was like sort of uh I didn't really care for it I mean like it's obviously like i I feel like uh having moral ambiguity about the the war on drugs is just such it's so stupid to begin with you know Hmm. oh and the, I thought the score was really bad too. It very, like, serious, like, you yeah, know? just the generic nonsense.
1: Yeah. Just the pounding
0: but I, was actually, I was actually kind of disappointed because um, the guy who did the music is named Disasterpiece and did the, the soundtrack to It Follows, which I thought was a very good score. Right, okay. Interesting. And I was like, I guess it might be a good score, but it was a bad score. <laughs> what do you know? Yeah, it just seems anonymous to yeah. me. Um, but the actual soundtrack
1: choices, the needle drop choices, he uses both Run Through the Jungle, which, I mean, come on. Most famously used and probably originally used um, to great effect in *The Big Lebowski*, but has been used a number of times since. Sure. And especially like as they're like going through jungle, it's like yeah, run through the jungle. Or like when
0: they're he's trying to recruit his buddies into doing it, and they play. We um, would max the chain, symbolizing the fact that these characters have a connection. <laughs> yes.
1: And. And at one point, they also play Bob Dylan's *Masters of War*. Because in a way they are masters of war. What? But it was good to see um, some gray hair representation. I I enjoyed both (laughs) Ben Affleck and Oscar Isaac's graying tips.
0: (laughs) But Oscar Isaac's always sort of had that uh, hair, hasn't he? I guess it's. I guess it's getting more that way. I mean,
1: it's. It's always had a gray like tint. It's. It's. It's still not quite to my level. No, no, no. But I I was pleased. He's, he's, he's going to play you in the he's going to play
0: you in the original biopic, right?
1: He's a handsome guy. And with some people, like, Grey really enhances yeah, like you, their look. Like me.
0: Where did you go, Grey?
1: Um, it would have been a few years ago. It's, it's it's obviously really hard to notice when you're the person, because you see yourself in the mirror every day. What
0: color was your hair?
1: Just dark. <laughs> Not a color, just dark. <laughs>
0: dark. Dark brown, but like pretty tough. Okay. Okay. Um so uh, anything else Triple Frontier? What did you think of the uh, performances by the assembled cast?
1: I mean they were all fine.
0: I actually really didn't like any of them. <laughs> or I didn't, I I thought all the performances were very mediocre. I didn't think they detracted from what the film was, you know what I mean? I thought I thought Ben Affleck was really bad. I thought he was okay. Uh,
1: I thought Oscar Isaac was was pretty good. Yeah, he was, he was whatever. As far as it goes.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean...
1: But uh, can you speak to Thingo's accent? <laughs> Thingo,
0: <laughs>
1: Whatever his name is.
0: Charlie Yeah, it's just really uh, inconsistent, which is strange, because he's in an American TV show for so long. you think he would have, like, learned how to do an American accent, like, consistently. It, it has this, like, weird cadence to it, like, when he is not breaking, and then suddenly it'll just shift into sort of something that sounds like Cockney or, or like, received pronunciation or something like that. Uh, very strange. <laughs> Definitely did not seem like a a, a brother to Garrett Hedlund. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just was like, this movie just felt like nothing to me at all. Like I just watched it, didn't make an impact on me. Uh, I could have turned it off at any point and had the exact same experience, you know?
1: Yeah, I think I think it is inessential.
0: It's it's just like the very definition of just a mediocre film. Like it's not badly made or anything like that.
1: Like, it's fine if you have to watch it, yeah. right?
0: <laughs> if that you would... can go
1: along with it, okay, but I wouldn't tell anyone else to watch it. No. There's no reason for anyone to remember it after this point.
0: And it's like watchable, but.
1: Yeah, it's watchable. But don't yeah. watch it.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> the end.
0: How <laughs> the many end. stars
1: of the. How many points the of the star?
0: Hmm. Uh, I would give it uh, two points of the star. Or maybe two and a half. I'll go two and a
1: half. I was going to give it two and a half, too.
0: Oh, perfect. <laughs>
1: bonus features,
0: bonus. Bonus
1: features. Bonus features, bonus. Bonus features. Okay,
0: I'll go first. Okay. Okay, so um, I'll get the easiest one to to-do out of the way first, which is I rewatched Wild Strawberries, but this time with the commentary track. What <laughs> I know is your favorite activity.
1: Who does the commentary?
0: Uh, some Bergman scholar named Peter Cowie. It's pretty good right. commentary track, actually. Very informative. That definitely did not fall into the trap of the last one I described, where it was just describing stuff on screen. Um, but yeah, he talks a lot about uh, sort of Bergman's inspiration and tries to situate Wild Strawberries in, in the arc of Bergman's career. And mm-hmm. my favorite, like, weird quirk of it is that uh, he he talks about um, this uh, Greek film called Eternity in a Day, right? Mm-hmm. Like, four or five times. It was really strange. I don't know why, because he keeps on, like, um, comparing it to Eternity for in a Day. And I was just like, why was this on your mind when you're recording this audio commentary? Like, I just don't get it.
1: Well, because, yeah, because it's, it's not a film that came before Wild Strawberries. You no, know,
0: it came out in the uh, 90s. I guess it maybe you just watched it recently or something like that. I don't know. But uh, I actually think I think watching it with a commentary track made me appreciate the film, like, way more, to be honest. Which I already liked quite a bit. So. I might have to bump that up to five stars.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: Or rather, one star. But, uh, it, yeah, it definitely made me, like... Um, more cognizant of some of the larger like parallels that were being drawn between the characters and stuff like that, that I was sort of ignorant mm. of the first time I watched it.
1: Yeah, I really like Wild Strawberries.
0: It's a good commentary track. Um, and Wild Strawberries is obviously a really great film. I watched uh, a, a recent release called Black Mother, which I did not care for that much. Well, it was okay. It's like, it like a solid three star film. And then it's like what a, it? it's a documentary about Jamaica, right? Um, but mm-hmm. it's pretty much composed uh, sort of like a Malik film. Um, in terms of, it's just, like, sort of static, well, I guess it's not static, but the, it's it's very, like, uh, single shots of people who don't speak, and then you hear a voiceover of what you assume is them, just talking about, like, just to making culture and right, right. stuff.
1: So, sort of visually impressionistic.
0: Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I have to admit that I thought it was pretty boring. <laughs> Uh, and my friend that I saw it with fell asleep multiple times, so it gives you sort of a check, but it definitely, it has some very beautiful images, but I just didn't really think it really amounted to much overall, and <clears throat> a lot of it, like, sort of delves into religion, which I was just like, I just don't give a shit you know, <laughs> so it was kind of hard for me to appreciate that aspect of it uh, but it has some very beautiful photography um, but it's sort of going for like a hypnotic Uh, quality but it it, it tips a little bit too much into to dullness for me to really uh, appreciate it it has a very sort of um chris marker ish quality as well
1: it hypnotized your friend to sleep (laughs)
0: exactly multiple times (laughs) um and yeah it's 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 definitely i would definitely not i would definitely tell people i would definitely never like like, oh don't watch that but uh, i didn't uh I didn't, uh, enjoy it, uh, that much. (laughs) Sorry, my grandmother texted me.
1: Oh, okay, I was like, this is a big build-up to enjoy it that much.
0: (laughs) Has she had a fall? Uh, she texted me, I'm having heart failure, which I... (laughs) Does that mean that she... Is a heart attack? But she was texting me about a basketball game that she was watching, so hopefully it was a reference to that. Uh, what else did I watch? <laughs> Jesus, sorry. You rewatched My Winnipeg. I did. I wanted to show my girlfriend it, because um, she made me watch Milana, and I was like, I'm going to make her watch a film that I really like, <laughs> but think that she won't particularly. Yeah. You've seen My Winnipeg, right? Mm hmm. Really enjoyable stuff. Yeah, it's good. Uh, just really funny and strange and uh, beautiful at points.
1: It made me want to see his other film.
0: I've seen a lot of his movies. It's definitely... I mean, all of his films have a very similar quality to them, so it's kind of hard to be like... And they all... they all, Some of them are kind of repetitive, too. Uh, that they're mostly set in Winnipeg and are about hockey to some degree. We, some of them are. Mm-hmm. But I would say, if you can watch Brand Upon the Brand, I think that's his best movie. Because um, it's, it's just a really strange film. and has a very um, odd sensibility, as all his films do, I guess but all I, I think i think pretty much any film that he's directed that i've seen anyway is worth a watch so really like it guy madden's my winnipeg um, and i think that's it did i tell you that i went and saw him give it a talk once
1: uh, i think you might have yes
0: for some reason there was like a local film festival uh, in richmond virginia that hosted him and played a lot of his movies i don't i don't know what attracted him to to the, the small city of richmond virginia <laughs> But uh, he came and introduced a lot of his films and gave, uh, did a Q&A. But then, uh, was, I actually felt kind of bad for him because, like, um, we have this, like, great uh, picture palace in Richmond. Like, it's, like, a very, it's, like, a um, refurbished, like, old style, you know? Yeah. Type place. It's it's a great theater. Um, and it's just beautiful and, and plays some interesting films. But uh, there's, like, no one in the audience. Like, there's maybe, like, 20 people, hmm.
1: including me,
0: <laughs> to watch him give this talk. Yeah. Um, but it, it, he's a really entertaining character, I think. And um, he, has, he has some really funny stories. Uh, your turn.
1: I only watched one film. Whoa. Uh, no, I watched The Decline of Western Civilization, uh, which is the, the documentary of the the Los Angeles punk scene in the early 80s, directed by Penelope Spheras, uh-huh. who most famously directed uh, Wayne's World. Mm-hmm and suburbia and a few other things but has pretty much since les- left the industry yes um and this is a documentary i wouldn't recommend to anyone who wasn't interested in any of the bands featured
0: which bands are featured
1: the bands that it mainly focuses on are um germs fear circle Jack. Black Flag, Catholic Discipline, and X. I can't say I'm... And the Alice Bag band, which was sort of a later
0: incarnation of Bags. Well, won't be watching that movie then. (laughs) Well, because it's
1: not just documenting the band members in their everyday life and interviews and stuff. There's a lot of full songs from each of the band, or at least a couple. So if you're not into it, you probably have a hard time getting through the film. And, um, I mean, I don't like any of the bands particularly except for X, who are by far the most interesting, and uh, their part of the film is the best.
0: And now my uh grandmother has responded to my uh comment with a cry a gift of a crying baby, so <laughs> I don't think she's actually dying, just to make sure that everyone knows that. But what if that was so, like? She couldn't really
1: control. <laughs> she couldn't her control her yeah, hands. She just had to press push. that smiling. That's all she could do. Yeah, maybe. and you had to interpret it.
0: Maybe, um, but anyway. Well, then she chose the wrong person to mess that deal.
1: I like X, but I wish the whole documentary was X as opposed to having to spend time with uh, some of these other bands. I mean, there is something to be said for uh, an aesthetic that is purposely primitive and abrasive in sound um yeah. and ugly. But doesn't mean I have to like it. So <laughs> uh,
0: Yeah. That's kinda how I feel about it too.
1: And also the 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 neo Nazi kind of association stuff. With punk. Um
0: well there's there's like leftist punks and rightist punks, right? So
1: Yeah. I mean this is more left than right, I would say overall, but you're using Nazi imagery as a it's a shock tactic either way. I think that's pretty deplorable. And the the funny thing is that it ends with a performance by the band Fear, right? Mm. And they're intentionally provoking the crowd by um, baiting them with homophobia
0: mm.
1: or baiting their homophobia. I didn't know much about the band before this. Um, I'd heard the name, but I didn't know anything about them. And I w- this is pretty stupid of me, but I thought they were... A queer band, mm. and they were intentionally baiting like a yeah, homophobic sure. crowd sure. into a fight, sure, and sure. but that was their you know stance. But no, they're a homophobic band, so
0: great,
1: they were doing gay stereotypes on stage to bait the crowd into fighting them. It's an interesting document, certainly, but you know, I don't really care about these type of bands.
0: Just give me a uh, screedy plitty any day, sort of thing,
1: except for X. So I do recommend X, uh-huh. X is a good band.
0: Uh is this the end? Um what was I saying? This is like purely a professional relationship I want you to know that.
1: Fucky. Okay. <laughs>